You're tuned in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Hey guys, so we've had a crazy week of weather. First it was clear, then we had a blizzard that shut down most of the East Coast, pretty much all flights, and now the sun is out and everything is melting. I mean, what's up with that? No global warming? I think not. So while you're trying to change your air conditioning settings to your heat settings and taking off all the layers you put on the day before, it's comforting to know that some things are constant in this world. I know many of you were worried, but it's okay. My hair is still amazing. The weather has got nothing on my conditioning routine. Welcome to politics. So this is politics with me, your host, Paul Wharton. Thank you for joining us once again. We're recording at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. with my homeboy, Jamal, and the full service radio crew. Shout out to Jack Inslee. He's out of studio today. Please go check out our previous episodes. We have some incredible guests and some spicy conversations. You can check them all out at paulwartonstyle.com or on fullserviceradio.org. So today we're picking up a huge news story that just broke this week. We have a legal analyst, viewpoints, and personal stories. Of course, my friend Monique Presley will be on the show very shortly. And in studio with me, I have my counterpart at Paul Wharton Style, my friend and co-creator, the fabulous Aida Fontenot. Hello, Aida. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited to have you. (laughs) So before we get to that, I just want to shout out some of our fabulous sponsors. So I just posted about the Batar Cosmetic Institute. That's the place that I get all of my things done to my skin. I'm really doing a lot of hydrofacials now. I'm doing something new called Oil Therapy and also Exilus 360. It is really helping me turn back the years. It got a huge response on my Instagram. If you haven't been on that, go to at Paul Wharton Style and check that out. But Batar Cosmetic Institute is the place to go. George Batar and Z, my aesthetic specialist, are fabulous. Check them out online at batarinstitute.com. Metro Offices is my choice for a co-working space in D.C. I've been a client for more than 10 years, and I absolutely love the way they do business. Check them out at metrooffice.com. One O. All right. So shall we get started? Let's get started. Oh, my God. So a huge story is Empire star Jussie Smollett. For anyone who does not know, Jussie is an actor. In the global hit series, Empire. Are you, did you watch the show? No, I started watching it at first, and I catch it every once in a while. I can't say that I'm a diehard fan of it. Mm-hmm. When I catch it, I absolutely love it, and I really do watch it for him <laughs> when I do watch it. You watch it for him? I watch it for him. That's so interesting. I mean, he's a gay man. I mean, what is that about? You just like his acting? It's certainly, you want to jump his, his bones? What is it? Um, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love his advocacy, what he stands for. I mean, that he's um, very free and artistic in his real life and just who he is as a person. Now, you're still using uh, the present tense. So you're not saying his advocacy and what he stood for. Yeah, I'm talking about for LGBTQ rights. Right. Do you still think that that stands as of today with him turning himself in? <sighs> it's tough, tricky. huh? We're going to get into it. We're going to get into that. So listen, just to back you up, last month, Jesse alleged that he was beaten by two men who shouted homophobic and racial, racial slurs while they did so. 
Today, he's been arrested in Chicago for allegedly filing a false police report. So this is a felony charge and could carry one to three years in prison. Oh, boy, this is tough. Well, as I said, that I'm, I'm being joined here in studio by Aida Fontenot. But before we get the legal perspective from Monique Presley, Aida, what are you feeling watching this? Did you see actually the police press conference earlier? I didn't see the press conference. Um, I did go back and watch again the interview he did on Good Morning America. And mm-hmm. he seems so sincere. Yeah. You know, it really, it seemed incredibly sincere. Like, I don't see how... He did? I'm sorry. To I me, mean, he did not thing. seem sincere. I mean, like, I want to believe him. I, just, I really want to believe him. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a sacred space in the politics studio, so mm. we can just talk pretty candidly. I wanted to believe him <laughs> because he is a gay black man yes. who has achieved great success in his young 36 years. Right. And, you know, he's on, like you said, a hit show. And I thought, why would he please tell me that he wouldn't be lying about such a thing? And the other thing is, you know, I I feel like when one of us does something like this, and I'm I'm speaking from my personal experience, of course, the politics audience is of all races. And, you know, they're straight, they're gay, they're black, they're white, they're old, they're young. And I love everyone. But I'm speaking as a gay black man. I don't want to see anybody that's a gay black man that has that kind of platform out there putting vitriol into the world that is going to even further divide our country. It's it's a setback if this does end up being a false um, story. Okay, so you're you're doing the Tyler Perry today. The Tyler Perry went on his Instagram earlier and said, you know, it's not looking good, but I've talked to some people that know him and they're saying this is completely out of character for him. I'm praying for him and his family because people are still holding on to hope. In the police press conference earlier, one of the things the superintendent said, he said that, They have the phone records, okay? (laughs) They have phone records that basically say that Jesse communicated with these attackers before the attack, after the attack, also while they were in Nigeria. For those of you that don't know, the attackers flew to Nigeria a few days after the attack. They stayed there for two weeks, and upon return, they were apprehended at the airport. Um, Of course, they had gotten subpoenas and they had gotten into their travel records and they had figured out that they bought this round trip ticket to Nigeria. So the thing is here, why that, you know, I just, I don't get it and I don't understand why he would set himself up. Well, okay. (laughs) Right. Why ask why? So people asked the superintendent why at the press conference and according to the attackers, um, during the 47th hour, when they were talking to the police investigators, they said that Jesse was not happy with his current salary and he wanted a raise. Not only did they have the phone records, they also are claiming to have the canceled check. They have the check. He wrote a check. That's like writing a check to your drug dealer. What in the <laughs> you do? No paper do record. Shame, shame, shame. You don't do that. You just don't do that. So knowing that, knowing that they have um, the phone records, knowing that there was a relationship with these with these gentlemen before the attack, 
and knowing that according to the police, they have the check, the $3,500 check, and the promise to pay the additional $500, do you still feel the same level of hope that you did before all this? Honestly, no, I don't. But I feel like this, there has to be some light at the end of the tunnel for this because this is not just bad for him. I'm not really as concerned about what his personal well-being is, but what this does for the state of black people and gay people in America. Yes. Because for him to do this and to basically to cry wolf and just make a huge spectacle out of this, it's not just about him. This is about every other young gay person and every other young maybe black person. Absolutely. So listen, we're giving our perspective from the social and from the emotional perspective, but I want to talk to a legal expert. She is my friend. She is my loyal confidant. She is a legal master and TV personality. She is none other than Monique Presley. Monique. Hi, Paul. Hey, Monique. Aida is actually here in studio with me as well. Hey, girl. Hi, Aida. How are you? Oh, great. So, Monique, a lot has happened today. Um, My hair is so big right now because I didn't have time to tame it because I was at home (laughs) watching this press conference, um, stuck to my phone. I was talking and texting with some very big name Hollywood stars that know Jesse personally. I mean, and they were completely outraged. Monique, from a legal perspective, what is Jesse looking at? How serious is this? Well, it's a felony. You know, it's a class four felony that he's being charged with. He's being charged with making a false statement to law enforcement, which is considered part of disorderly conduct and that means that you can get one to three years of a prison sentence and you can get charged with a fine of whatever amount the judge or would think is appropriate uh, it's not likely if things are going the way they should just in terms of people being charged with this level of offense and with him having no history of prior convictions and things like that. It's not likely that he would see a sentence like that, nor do I think that he should. I've been watching some of my colleagues on TV today, and they're clutching their pearls and shrieking and him hemming and oh my godding, and I'm kind of doing the same to them because I'm like, when did we stop practicing law and become so freaking emotional about every single person who makes a false statement, comes up with a crazy story, is going through something. I mean, for a man this far along in his career, enjoying this amount of success to do something like this, if he's responsible for it, he still claims that he did not. His lawyers, whom I know and respect, are still saying they're going to offer a defense. But if he did do this, there's a reason, and it's serious, because that's not that's not sane or level or stable to go out on a limb like that, and certainly not for what they claim, which is attention to increased salary. I just, I don't buy that. Now, the Chicago superintendent that led the press conference, he brought up a few things and claimed that he had evidence of, I was just discussing with Aida, phone calls between Jesse and the alleged attackers um, before the incident, after the incident, and also while they were in Nigeria. 
And also, Monique, and I'm sure you talking about clutching your pearls, <laughs> they have the check. He used, who uses the check anymore? Exactly. Well, and that's the thing that to me says, because that entire song, that family is talented and brilliant. And I just don't expect stupid criminal things from people who, if they're going to just all of a sudden turn over to a life of crime, start committing crime. So... I'm not one of those people who believes necessarily that in the 47th hour of a 48-hour interrogation, and let's just stop and think about the fact that there was a 48-hour interrogation, and it took 47 of them to get these two brothers to what the police are calling coming clean. But put that to the side. In the 47th hour, if they decided to provide information that was going to mean they changed from being suspects into being witnesses, then to me, I don't know whether I buy all of it or not, because they had every reason to say exactly what the police wanted them to say. I can think of 15 different ways this could have gone down. He could have owed them money, could have paid them to hurt somebody else, they could have hijacked him. It could be any number of different things Mm -hmm. that he then couldn't figure out what he wanted to do about. Or he could be very unbalanced and and be having some sort of problem that no one in his family knew about, that none of his friends knew about. All of these things are possibilities. So the Chicago PD, they have their own issues with um, in terms of poor conduct in the past. Um, uh-huh. and, and watching the press conference today, you saw a lot of the emotion and they were saying the superintendent was saying that the Chicago PD doesn't deserve um, this this kind of um, this this stink that J- Jesse put on them. Um, mm-hmm. How much does their past uh, reputation kind of play into people's questioning that this is uh, actually on par? Well, look, you know, when I watch, I'm like, okay, you don't deserve the stink. Maybe not for Jesse Smollett situation. You did what you were supposed to do. You went out and tracked down. whoever was responsible and looks like you're doing some good work. So I'm going to just leave the stink of Laquan McDonald on you. How about that? We're going to leave the stink of all the black people who die in the street who you don't chase down who did it. How about that? We're going to go ahead, you know, and remember all of the times you were on the verge of a consent decree because you weren't doing your job because there were dirty cops in your police force because all of these things were going wrong and the only people who were really getting up, locked up, are the same people who are getting locked up now, black boys. I mean, and so, you know, I mean, yeah. my issues with that police department aren't going to stop because they do a good job here if they have. Now, what I will say is that I have every faith and confidence in Kim Fox. And she is the state's attorney, the county attorney, who recused herself personally from this because she knows some of the players are involved. But it's her office, and I know that she's been doing a lot of work in the past two years in order to kind of put that office right side up and bring good quality prosecutors who are going to try to do their job and go to reach justice and not overshoot on these things. So I do believe that where that's concerned, uh, the charging will be fair and whatever way the case is handled from that office's perspective out of once it's out of the hands of the police and moves over to them, that that will be a fair situation. Interesting. I want to ask you something. So suppose I'm a big Hollywood star and I find myself wanting to get a raise and I concoct this 
you know, conflama and and it goes down and it gets a bigger kind of reaction than I was expecting. Um, and I find myself in the position that Jesse's in right now. Do you tell your attorney the real deal? How does that work? I mean, or, you know, because you see these these big high powered attorneys and they're saying, well, you don't know it all. And I can't really say. And some truths have been leaked, but they've also been lies that have been leaked. And do the attorneys know the real deal or is it best that they are kind of kept in the dark on that? I won't just limit it to high powered or celebrity type cases. Here's what I will say. There's no way with any client that the attorney knows without doing their own thorough investigation, listening to what the client is telling them, hiring the investigators, looking at the evidence, there's no way to know whether you have all of it or not. Because, Paul, people lie. And when people have done something wrong, they have every impetus to lie. And sometimes they can't bring themselves to put it all on the line, even with their attorneys. When I was doing criminal defense, it was very rare for me to sit with a client in the first, second, maybe even fifth interview, say, tell me everything that happened. What really happened? The question I was trained to ask, which gets the most success, is what are the prosecutors going to tell me they have? What is it that I will find out if I go and speak to these witnesses? What do you think the story's going to be from the accuser? And then you get some version of, well, they might say that, blah, 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 blah. But really, it was because people are just not prepared to do that. But... These attorneys that um, Mr. Smollett has and and other attorneys who've been in the game a long time, they know how to work their way around that. It's very hard to, to, as as you know, because you and I go back and forth when I'm trying to kill people for you. I mean, not literally, y'all. That's a joke. But I don't don't trust anybody. So, you know, you get jaded after a while. So I'm always kind of looking at the story sideways before I put my head up straight. I'm like, "Mm, really? Yeah, and I'm like, get on my side, and you're just quiet. We're going to count how many times Paul has called Monique to ourselves. (laughs) So you find yourself in a trick bag. You told what started as a little white lie, uh, but you told the wrong people. You told your mama, and and this is alleged, okay? You told your mama. You told your family. Your family, um, each you know, that have their own reputation as a part of your family name and they're hashtagging justice for Jesse and it's come this far and the police have evidence. You've turned yourself in. Uh, Now what? What's the process from here, Monique? Well, I would expect that he's going to be um, released in short order and then there's the case is going to go forward. And if Uh, It's the case that he and his lawyers decide that they want to work with the prosecutor's office and reach some resolution of this, Um, and he decides that he wants to, for whatever reason, take responsibility for it. He certainly is in a position to be able to pay whatever amount law enforcement expended um, in terms of man hours and resources on this case. So that may happen, or it's going to be something that keeps moving forward and goes to trial and his attorneys will have their own investigators and they'll be looking at plucking holes in 
the brother's story and in the investigation that was done by the police. So it can be a short process. It can be a long process. If he did this, Monique, um, if he is behind this, as they're calling it a hoax, at what point, uh, if ever, should he come out to the public and admit what he's done? Right. And that's the biggest if, Paul, because, you know, just as a believer in the Constitution, presumption of innocence to me is not just something we say, like on law shows, but it doesn't mean anything anymore. He stands right now as an innocent man. And if he's going to be guilty, he's going to either admit guilt or he's going to be proven guilty. And so if either of those things happen, and he then decides that he wants to try to salvage career reputation, make apologies, all of those things, then he can. But I, I believe personally, I, and I agree with uh, the superintendent who said this, this case got huge because media and the world wanted the case to be huge. The police did, went, a, you know, went along doing their job the way they would for any other hate crime, giving it no more attention or no less. And then it got turned into a spectacle because of who this person was. And for me, I would like for people to kind of keep themselves in check because, I mean, we have an occupant at the White House that is running scams and games and lies to the tune of billions of dollars of the American people's money every single day. And nobody seems all up in arms trying to make sure that he goes to jail for the stuff that he does. So I just want to keep our eye on the ball on this whole situation and not let this small matter run away from us as if it's the worst thing that ever happened in the world. You know, people are jumped every day. People are, you know, beat up, uh, petty theft. Um, but when you bring in the homophobic slurs and um, the MAGA country and all of that stuff, just in the w- wider legal view on, let's just say, gay rights in America, when somebody attacks you, Monique, what is needed for it to be considered a hate crime? And how different is this situation let's just say, than if he had just been attacked on the street like any other person gets attacked? In order for it to be a hate crime, the intent of the crime has to be clear. So when it's hate, it has to be that it's particular criminal activity aimed toward what we call a protected class. So LGBTQ would be a protected class. A person of color would be a protected class. Uh, someone for which there are discriminatory laws in place. And then the action has to be because of that purpose. So when you look at the, the murders um, in, in the Emanuel Church, that's a hate crime, right? Because that was specifically because of color. Or something like this here, where if it was true, these people were using an N-word slur, using slurs towards someone's uh, sexual preference, then you're looking at hate because we have the facts that go along with it. If he had just gotten beaten up, same scenario, and we didn't have like a noose to work with or not necessarily the MAGA hats, but the words, etc., then that would be an assault and terrible, but it would not be considered a hate crime because there would be no evidence to support it. I see. I see. And lastly, I just want to ask you this. See, Monique, you kind of straddle the fence between, you know, legal, but you're also, you know, your TV personality, you're um, an upcoming author, you are in Hollywood. 
So how damaging do you think this is for people in um, our industry in terms of entertainment, black people, people that are content creators, people that are actors, people that are out there, um, you know, striving to move forward? How damaging do you think uh, this is overall to us? It doesn't have to be damaging to us at all. Look, I'm a crisis manager um, by trade, and I don't really think it has to be damaging to him, depending on how he handles it and if he's got the right people around him to get him to say the right things, get his mind on straight, take the right steps. But this whole thing about how the one gay person speaks for and tarnishes all of gay America and the gay world, this one black person, this one singer, this one dude with curly hair, this one dude that's on a show on Fox. It's ridiculous. We are the ones who have to get a grip on ourselves and not make it such that that is the case because we have people in white America, we have people in Latinx America, we have people in black America, in all of America who do things that are wacky, crazy, wrong, criminal, racist, etc. And we cannot let that mean this one person's action speaks for all of us because that's absurd. We are all, you know, humans. We're wrapped up in flesh. We make terrible mistakes, and it's sad when it's somebody who's out front, but I'm usually one of those who who agrees when celebrities step forward and they say, look, I am out here doing a job, and I don't represent everybody, and I'm not everybody's mama or daddy, and I'm not everybody's example, and I'm not everybody's mentor. Now, if you take that on and you say, look at me, follow me, that's different. But we have enough people with their head on straight that we can say, you know, we pray for Brother Jesse. We hope that his situation turns out right and that if he's wrong, he makes amends and then move on. Okay. Turn the page. I do. I agree with what you're saying, Monique. But I think that it is something that is sort of personal to people because when you have somebody who is in a position of power, whether they like it or not, if they have influence, then they're going to be representative of the communities in which they are a part of no matter what. And just the fact that it's called a hate crime there incites emotion. It's something that is, it's personal and it is emotional. You know, when I heard about it, I was emotionally upset. I felt like part of me had been attacked. I'm a bisexual woman and I'm part of this community. And every time I hear about a black person, a young black person, a black woman, anything, anyone suffering some sort of injustice, I do feel like it's personal to me because I feel like as a community, we should be connected to one another. Yes, you know, we should take the high ground and say, this is not me, that sort of thing. But I think that the reality of the country in which we live right now, we do need some sort of togetherness, some sort of unity, and we need to be able to stand behind members of our community that are prominent when they're doing right, of course, but if they do something wrong, then we need to be able to be allowed to be emotional about it and be connected to it because and hold them we accountable. Are, and hold them accountable for whichever way it is because they are representatives and we are human. We're human in the fact that we do have emotions and we do need each other and we do have to have some sort of togetherness. And I think it's a very sensitive time for black gay rights, particularly in this country right now. So I can't ignore the fact that this is completely surrounding that. If it was just a case where he just got assaulted and there wasn't anything about race or um, his sexuality involved in it, then yeah, it would be something else. But because he made it about that, 
then that's what it is. And it just, I feel like that is what it is. And I don't think that we should ignore that. I think that we should really talk about what this does to our communities. What I think really is missing most times from the conversation, though, and it's it's a complaint that I have just about the way the justice system is working right now and really the way the world of social media immediate action works, is when someone is accused of doing something wrong, in our society now, it's like they did it, and it's guilty until proven innocent, and it's Especially in the liberal part of the world, there is pressure to immediately ostracize them from everything. We want them out of their job. We want them out of their home. We want them broke. We don't want anybody doing business with them. And it's all based on whatever kind of allegation it is. Now, one of the things to me this showed us is people can make up assault allegations and it not be true and when we jump to believe them and we leave our brains on the table in our blind belief that can at times be wrong but the thing it also says to me though is if people are members of our family for real for real then they have to be family members when they mess up too you know they don't get kicked out of okay. the whole family because they because that's not the way I do my family and I know that's not the way Paul does his family. You know you can mess up and for real for real like I'm the one outside in the getaway car saying I'm gonna kill you and kill you dead but we get out of here first. I'm that girl yeah. and so when your family member messes up, there has to be some plan and measure for compassion, for figuring out the reasons, for a road to restoration, for a road to reconciliation. And yes, there are consequences, but consequences is like one on my five hands, you know, my five fingers of my hand that I just named. So I'm hoping that for all the different communities that Jesse Smollett is in and for the good work that he's done as an activist and a person who's supportive in the community, that all of that doesn't just get dropped by the wayside because this brother may have found himself in a real heap of just bad decision making or mental instability or whatever the situation may have been. Because I don't believe that anybody would go through all of that craziness just to get a check or because I don't even know how that will work. You get you you get you, you sure. you're the victim yeah. of a hate crime and you get more money. Eh, Do you I believe know. I have to fight for this job? I would have been in L.A. I'm in Chicago getting my ass beat. They threw bleach <laughs> on me. Shit! I need some more money. <laughs> right. That was that didn't even sound right Paul. you know what I mean I mean why don't you just call yourself a Monique Press you still get you some more money you don't even have to go through all that <laughs> right there you are better right. ways you know that really makes me think of the podcast you did with Jennifer Lewis and how she was talking about mental health mm-hmm. you know and how that's such an important thing and people could be suffering from it and no one would ever know yeah right sounds like a very dramatic act this and I haven't been seeing I haven't even been seeing that raised as a possibility on on these these on, in this media coverage, you know. And there are some people who who go in and shoot up schools and and buildings of people, and they're called very disturbed young men. Mm-hmm. But then troubled. we've got mm-hmm. Jesse. Yeah, they're troubled. They're disturbed. Mm-hmm. They, and we learn all about their troubled past and et cetera and et cetera. But now we've got this talented artist actor who may have gotten himself into some trouble and caused a whole bunch of problems for a city and a community but i mean is he not disturbed or troubled 
Or is he what these other, you know, they're calling him selfish, they're calling him entitled, they're saying it's privilege, you know, acting out bad behavior, criminal behavior. I just would like to seek some consistency in the way we shape these issues and the way we look at people, even people who commit crime, because that's who the protections are really for. You know what, Monique? You never disappoint. <laughs> Thank you so much. I know you are in high demand today. I've seen you on all the shows. I saw you on Rolling yesterday. You were amazing. Um, if you want to follow Monique, she is at Monique Presley on Instagram. Are you actually at Monique Presley on Twitter as well? I am. Fantastic. Thank you, Monique Presley, for breaking it down for a brother. Thank you. See it's you, always fun being on your show, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, Monique. So Come back anytime. Okay. And I'll call you later. All right. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was really insightful. It was really insightful. What I could say about her is she is a badass bitch. Ain't she bad? <laughs> she For is anyone <laughs> out there that wants to fuck with me, okay. just know this. That's my attorney. Right. <laughs> she plays. You have a shield around she you She plays that no games. In fact, so much so that occasionally when people do mess with me, I have to decide when to go to her mm-hmm. and let her know I'm being messed with because I don't even want the people to go through all that that are messing with me. Your life might get ruined. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to let y'all just mess with me just a little bit more <laughs> because I feel Before bad I for you because once I release her on you. I can't mm. stop that. She's amazing. She she really is amazing. Um, you know, I've been talking to a few different people um, since yesterday about this situation. Um, I won't name any names, uh, but there are some big Hollywood stars that know him well. Uh, yesterday, I talked to a few. Today, during the press conference, I was on the line, on the phone, and on text message with some people and, and one particular person that actually works with him on Empire. Um, And everyone at this point, it it didn't seem that people were still in denial, but it seems like what they want from him at this point is some accountability, you know, and I think that each hour and each conversation that he has where he's saying, I'm innocent, I am a victim this never happened the way that they're saying it, but I can't really say what really happened. They're just getting more and more angry and people are feeling more and more betrayed. And also because so many people came out when this first happened and they were all over their own mm-hmm. Instagrams and Twitter. Um, they were on award shows. They were, you know, I remember seeing Kelly Ripa on her Kelly and Ryan and she's talking about that on the show and you know we're we stand with jesse i mean everyone everywhere was standing with jesse and so at this point people do want him to be accountable and at least explain and not that explain if he's not innocent he has to say something he He owes us some sort of explanation about something i think like what monique said even if he did something terribly wrong he needs to have some responsibility for the entirety of how this is going down. Why isn't he giving information? Why is he making it so that it's, it's becoming more and more difficult for the people who were supporting him to continue to, even if we want to, the fact that he is not able to give up all the information that be completely transparent about it makes it really tough. Maybe if he hadn't done good morning America, 
Maybe if he hadn't set with Robin Roberts and broke it down, you know, I'm not saying, you know, a lie for a lie, like an eye for an eye, but he could have said I was being extorted. I mean, that <laughs> would have been a story and people would have got behind him. These that. guys, the I made a sex way. tape. Right. They were going to leak it to the Internet. They, you know, we, we made this thing up so I could give them some money. I don't know what the case is, but one person um, that I talked to a lot last night is a politics favorite, the Reverend Marcia L. Dyson. Uh, she's actually out in L.A., but she made me uh, this MP3 to share with the audience. Let's hear what she had to say. It was once thought that the sun would never set on the British Empire. We know today that that is not true. It has. What we are wrestling with, though, is the possibility of the sun setting on the solo career of one of the cast members of the hit TV show Empire, Jussie Smollett. Jussie has been accused of the Chicago Police Department of committing the crime that he said white men in mega hats had upon himself. If these accusations are true, then Jussie has added to the culture of hate and the racial divide in America. My mother often said that two wrongs does not make a right. So it doesn't matter if you're black or white, Jewish or Muslim, Republican or Democrat, gay or straight. If you are a person who adds kerosene on the fire of the intensity of hatred in America, you're not the savior, you're the enemy. And if you are the enemy, then how do we hold you and embrace you? And I think that that is what we are wrestling with the most. We have to let the court system do its due diligence. But we're also hoping that Jussie does not keep us holding our breath and that he tells the truth and that he suffer or is redeemed by the consequences of his truth telling. We have come too far as black people to be stunned and thwarted by untruths, especially as relates to racism in America. We have always been the moral compass that have moved this nation along that benefited everybody of every race, creed, and ethnicity in this nation. And for the intensity to which we're suffering racism today, we don't need one of our own clan to add the fuel to this fire. Yes, we're hoping Jussie that these things that are alleged against you are not true. But if they are, we ask you to man up and be honest with us, your adoring fans. We pray for your family, that they embrace you and love you unconditionally, as we all might. We do believe that everybody is given a second chance. We have seen white actors do silly, crazy, terrible things and had a comeback. But first, you've got to stand up, and that's what we're waiting for. Tell us the truth, and we can embrace you. But we put our reputations on the line to support you. And if you go down, it is the milestone around our neck on this one. We will go down, too. You know, I wanted to share that. I have such a strong tribe of women around me. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. And... And I can't just keep that for myself. Right. Um, when we do Paul Wharton style or I go on a segment on TV or write a book or have this podcast, I want to use this podcast as a platform to share um, some of the wisdom of these women in my life. Of course, started with my mom and um, and shout out to my dad, too. <laughs> now, my dad is my daily 
you know, that's my homeboy. <laughs> All day long, he's giving me advice, and we're talking, and we're planning. Um, but the women, there's a, there's a very special relationship I have with the women in my life. And so I think this, this Jesse Smollett situation, I'm having a hard time processing it because of the relationship I have with the women in my life. Because I couldn't tell this kind of lie... And be and disappoint the women in my life on the level that it would. They they've given me too much. They've shared too much with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even you, Aida, um, in terms of my business life, like you are, you're consistent. You are calm. You're very hardworking. Like you're that woman for I'm me. A reflection of your bright light, Paul. <laughs> Thank you, Aida. <laughs> So many, but Marcia Dyson, I mean, Monique Presley, she's my, she's my friend, but she's also my attorney. You know, I go to her for the legal. Uh, Reverend uh, Dr. Marcia Dyson, I go to her. Um, she's a mother. She's a sister. She's a friend. I have people like uh, Jimaja Simmons in New York, one of my oldest friends there, Rebecca James, um, all of these people. But on another note, um, you know, I am in business. <laughs> and I'm in the lifestyle business and I love what I do, but I'm really proud of something new that we just came out with. And, um, you know, I love home and I love entertaining. And my next book, the first book, Pulling It All Together, Essential Style Advice on Being Beautiful, Confident, and Most of All Happy is about beauty and fashion and living your best life and getting sleep and body and all of that. Um, and the next book is going to be about cooking and entertaining and recipes um, that I've shared Um, my friends have shared with me and I've shared with them. We're going to have 50 recipes. We're going to shoot with people around the world in Italy and London. These are my friends in, in LA, in Cleveland, you know, here in DC. Um, and we're going to share some of that, all people that have inspired me, but there's one woman in particular that inspired me from a very young age. And, um, it was my mom's best friend, Vera. And you, you, have you met on Vera? No, I haven't. You haven't I feel met. like I know her. <laughs> you by feel the way like that you, know you speak her. of her. Yes. <laughs> so, my mom's best friend, Aunt Vera, let me just set the scene. So, we're in the early 80s, okay? Aunt Vera is a black woman with a big, you know, with big wild hair. And she and my mom were in great shape. And they would run around town in mini skirts and little cute little sparkly dresses and high heels. And fancy purses, and they would be laughing and hugging and spreading joy to anyone that was around them on every step. And I sat back as a child and just watched. And it really showed me the power and importance of friendship. But that love wasn't just shared with those two women. Um, Vera loved me. Um, she just showered me with kisses and hugs. And, and it's so important because, you know, as a young gay boy, I don't know that Anvira knew how much I needed that love. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because sometimes I would come home from school, and this was in the early days of school, very, very young. And I remember walking by myself. Do you know? It's like all the kids would be. 30, 40 feet behind me, and they would kind of, in my earshot, be kind of poking fun a little bit at me, and I would be walking. I didn't want to run, mm-hmm. 
But I would be walking so fast that I would be huffing and puffing just trying to get home. And I would be looking forward to getting home and watching my afternoon cartoons and having a big glass of Tang or something like that, you know, and being by myself. And I liked that solitude. But sometimes I would, as I would walk, we lived on a big hill, I would come over the neighbor's yard and Aunt Vera drove a green Rolls Royce. Okay, this is in the early 80s. This is a black woman driving a brand new she is green She is invented ro- to fabulous, right? <laughs> She's she bad as hell. Okay, Aunt Vera's bad as hell. So Aunt Vera had the green Rolls Royce and she also had a manual, four-speed manual. She was shifting it Corvette. Mm. That Corvette was navy blue and the Rolls Royce was green. Both were always sparkling clean and the Corvette had side pipes. So it was super loud and smoke would come out the side and she would let it roll down the street backwards. She'd have it in neutral and she would crank that thing up and it would sound like an Indy, like a NASCAR race car. And and smoke would be coming out the side. And I loved everything about Vera because although... I was a bit of a loner, not by choice, but just because that was a weird moment for me. And and that's why I tell kids, you know, it does get better. Things do get better. Like now I have my tribe at the time. It just makes me so sad when when young LGBTQ people take their own lives. I understand that loneliness. Um, But sometimes we can get the love that we need from other people um, because our parents it's too painful for them sometimes to understand um, their child being estranged, their child being the odd one out, the weird one, the one that's right. taunted. Right. You know, you talk to them. You're a mother. I am a mom. But the way that I raise my son and my relationship with my son is completely different than mine with, with my parents. You okay. know, um, And I think that it might, it's probably a generational thing. I mean, you know, especially, you know, in the black community, the parents, they just they worked. They went out, they did what they had to do. They had a whole different kind of struggle to pave the way for what we are able to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, we just not, wasn't as close to yeah. my parents. Like it was a different type of relationship than I think that parents have with their children yeah. now. You know, our parents weren't quite as accessible. You yeah. know, it was more like mother, father, you know, it was about respect, you know, that sort of thing. So the very intimate things that I needed to talk about, I couldn't really go to my parents, yeah. really. You know, it was like, I want to make them proud. I want them to be um, happy with me and that sort of thing. So I would tell my siblings or, like, mm-hmm. my friends or something, or, you know, stuff like that. But Well, let me tell you something. I would tell Aunt Vera. <laughs> I would tell Aunt Vera. And, and I was having such a hard time going to school. It was in the very early days of going to school, and about maybe four long blocks away was the bus stop. And in the morning, I'd be shaking like a leaf, jittery shaking because I was worried that the kids would, you know, taunt me. And I remember one morning just being like, I, I, just, I can't do this. I cannot go back to this school. And I hear something on the street below our house and I look out and I see that beautiful, shiny Rolls Royce. And it and the lights were on and it was shining. And Vera popped out with her big hair and she was ah! smiling and laughing and I said oh my god I'm Vera's here and she was there to take me to school she was there to take me to the school bus she I went down in that Rolls Royce and she drove me to the school bus and just as maybe on Vera thought maybe there's something that she knew that as a child I didn't but those kids 
pop down those school bus windows. Mm-hmm. You know, you pop them, they click. <laughs> yeah. And their heads came sticking out of that school bus and their hands in their heads. And they thought that a straight up celebrity had rolled up to the bus stop. And I popped out of that back seat <laughs> like I was Eddie Murphy and coming to America. OK, you couldn't have told me nothing. <laughs> and I said, hey, everybody, it's me, Paul Wharton. And I remember... Did you say like that Paul Wharton tr- yeah. his name last night? Oh, I always do that. <laughs> I was always proud of my name. But I got on that bus and I I had such a jolt of self-confidence. So um, we would go to Vera's house every weekend and I would sneak down to the garage and I would open the door to the garage. The kids would be upstairs playing and mom and Aunt Vera would be in the kitchen having cocktails and laughing. The laughter is what I remember, the laughter. But I would sneak out to that garage and I would open the door to the garage and the smell, the the smell is something that I will never forget. The smell of wood from that Rolls Royce. You would smell the wood, the thick Malabar teak wood in that Rolls and and the leather and Aunt Vera's perfume it was like a spicy sweetness to it and i never forgot that smell it was the smell of love it was like excellence it was comforting to me because um vera was there for me unconditionally and she didn't have to be because we weren't related by blood she was my mom's best friend but she chose me you know she Mm -hmm. chose me to look out for me and to treat me as as good or you know as good as her own children that's how much she loved me. So anyway, we've come out with a new line of candles, and I want to base them. I'm so thankful for all the experiences that I get to have traveling around the world, meeting friends and cultivating these relationships and really caring for them over over the years. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to create some scents that were inspired by experiences, people and places. And the first one. Um, On the side of the candle, it says, you know, growing up, I love my mom's best friend, Vera, and her fabulous green Rolls Royce. My memories of her glorious laugh and the love she showered me with make my heart smile to this day. The rich scent was intoxicating and unforgettable. It was a mix of teak wood, rich leather, and a spicy sweetness from Aunt Vera's perfume and love. So the first candle in my line for Paul Warden Home is called Aunt Vera's Rolls Royce. That is beautiful. And I feel like we captured that scent. And every time I light it up, I think of Aunt Vera and I, I reminisce. And I can just be sitting by myself with this candle and I reminisce and I think of how wonderful she made me feel and how much that excellence, you know, mm-hmm. when you're a child and you kind of have had a few experiences where you know there's... I mean, I felt I feel more racial tension now than I did in the early 80s. But I knew there was a little something going on out there. Right. I knew it was a special thing. The love that we shared, the laughter that we shared. But I knew rolling around in that green Rolls Royce was special. Mm-hmm. And so parts of that, the important parts have stayed with me. So so it's an homage to Ambira. It's it's a natural coconut wax candle it's made of the best ingredients i could find it's got a wood wick to give you a comforting kind of crackle to it it smells amazing (laughs) it smells amazing i mean i was sitting at home i lit the candle i'm looking at it i'm like oh i'm thinking about alvera you know i'm reminiscing about your story (laughs) you're reminiscing (laughs) and that's what i want people to do you know i wanted to share a little piece of my 
life and the stuff that means the most, those moments that have meant the most with the people that support my line. And I need to thank you for designing the packaging and understanding where I wanted to go with this. I told you the story and you took the story and you just really brought it to life. And I love this this picture we have um, for anybody that gets the candle. You can share the experience at paulwartonstyle.com. I think tomorrow we launch. Tomorrow we'll have it all on the site. All on the website. And you can go on and get yourself a candle. But there is a great story about Aunt Vera. And there's a picture of Aunt Vera in her Rolls Royce in the early 80s waving out the window. And it just, this is my heart. Like, this stuff means a lot to me. You know, there's stuff that I could just say, ah, put my name on that. But I just feel like I'm at a different place in my life. Like, I have to believe in it. And it's got to make some sense. And it's got to be the best quality that I can come up with. Yes, truly. Over the past, uh, how many years have we been working together? (laughs) And how many many products and books? I've never seen you sparkle so much when telling a story or being so connected (laughs) to anything that you've done before. And so this, um, it really makes me happy to see how you're you're sharing your experience and projecting your happiness through this this product. And it's amazing. The candle is really amazing. It smells beautiful. It smells warm and it burns forever. Doesn't it burn a long, long time? Yes. Oh my God! It's I really, absolutely. It's really amazing, and the the packaging is is just it's gorgeous. It we have really these beautiful is. modern, you know, chic glass black containers, and they're painted. It's actually painted on the inside of the glass. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Completely through, mm-hmm. and it has a chrome finish, a lid to it. So when the mm-hmm. candle is burnt out, it makes a wonderful, you know, keepsake for your makeup brushes or your stones or you know whatever absolutely. it is. Or you can plant a little plant in it, put it in your mm-hmm. kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I like that idea. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I plan to do. So thank you all for sharing this this moment with us, this hour with us on politics. Thank you, Aida, for being here. Thank you, Monique, for sharing your expertise. Um, Marcia. Dyson, you can actually follow her as well on Instagram. And um, it, this is just, we're, we're not living in dark times. We're living in awakening times. And that's something that my friend Jennifer Lewis always says. Shout out to her. She's being honored by Essence today. Woo-hoo. Isn't that something? Yes. Out there in Hollywood. <laughs> I need me some Jennifer. <laughs> All right. The Oscars are this Sunday. Keep hope alive, y'all. For your full Oscar red cat, uh, fashion uh, review, go to paulwartonstyle.com on Monday. And tomorrow, you can go buy my candle. That's right. Right? Okay, we love you guys. Talk to you later. Bye. If you need to feel better, Paul is here pulling it all together. He's there for you if you need to feel better. Paul is here pulling it all together. He's there for you if you need to feel better. Paul is here pulling it all together. He's there for you if you need to feel better. Paul is here pulling it all together. here pulling it all together He's there for you if you need to feel better Paul is here pulling it all together